0: Just to put my pastoral hat on for a second, cover up my bald head. Um, when, the, when we put up the, the slides and have uh, Caitlin announce opportunities to serve, um, that's like a nice way of saying there is stuff to do. God is doing things, and he asks us as his people to partner with him. And so what we do is we share opportunities of what God is doing here at the bridge. And did you feel welcome when you first came here? I hope the overwhelming answer is yes. Guess what? Part of our mission statement is that we would gather as many as possible so that every person who walks through that door would feel that same welcome that you felt. So what does it take to be a greeter? It takes joy in your heart and an honest desire to see people Welcome at church. What does it take to serve kids in the back? It takes love and it takes obedience because if we're honest, serving kids is very dynamic. That's like a technical term for all over the place. But they are awesome. And I wouldn't be standing here teaching you adults if I wouldn't have put in years of just teaching kids because I learned the most valuable teaching lessons how to take something. That can be super wordy and make it super applicable to a five, six, seven, eight, however old, middle school kids, high school kids. Um, God opened those doors for me to teach, and He put a desire in my heart to teach His Word. And I just was like, I can never turn down opportunities to teach God's Word. And for years, years and years, the the opportunity to teach in this context, wasn't available, but the opportunity to teach kids. But for such is the kingdom of heaven, that, that we could deposit eternal truths into um, canvases that were designed by God to receive his love and his word. And we have a desire to do that. So what does it take to serve kids? Desire to be with them, to be at ground level, to... Uh, be messy, to look at parents when they come into church doors with their kids, and in your heart you're going, please do not give that child a donut right now. Wait till after church, moms and dads. And I want to make that a special request to some of our younger people in the church. Um, there's something about serving those that are younger than you that, that God uses to help you lead those that are older than you and other people in the, in the, just in our communities. And so it's an amazing way to get involved with the heartbeat of our ministry. Even though it's unseen by a lot of us in here, it's most seen by Jesus. And um, so please talk to Caitlin. Please talk to myself. Please talk to my wife, Stephanie, who's back there faithfully serving your guys as kids. And, uh, yeah, and jump in. The water is nice. Okay, it's good to be back with you guys. Bill did a great job last week. Did you guys like Bill Richardson? Yeah, Flight of the World Prayer Center. What a cool ministry. Um, What a cool man. And um, our city is is blessed that God brought him here and the ministry that they're doing. And I think that was just a a real good word that he shared with you guys. And I I watched online, so I can say he shared with us, but I'm grateful for him. And uh, the day after he preached here, he took off to Scotland where he is right now. So um, look forward to to having him back and, and um, all that God is doing through the prayers of his people in the city of Bellingham. So today we are back in the book of Mark. So if you want to open up your Bibles to Mark 13, I'd like to pray and just ask God's blessing and anointing and power over the teaching of his word today. So, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for the ability and the freedom to come to a place that we call our church home. And to turn the lights on and to turn the fans on and to make coffee and donuts and all the things just to prepare a space, a living room for people to gather uh, under under your guidance and under your love. What, a, what an honor. So we just want to first, we want to thank you for that. We thank you for today. We ask your blessing upon the teaching of your word, because you only speak the truth. And you only speak the truth in love. And so, Lord, we are pumped because we get to receive truth and love right now. Give us capacity to receive more of your love today. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, I almost jumped up. I almost jumped up and, and... interrupted gina and the team but that would have been rude but i i just felt like that word hallelujah you know there's no good english like translation in our context hallelujah means so many things it's this all-encompassing word that means it's telling god it's speaking out who god is like this all-encompassing god is good god is true God is right. God is king. God is not based on how I feel. God is. So when Jesus says these crazy things like I am, our response is hallelujah. And so I, I seriously, I still don't have any tattoos, but if I were to get one, that would be it. That way, every time someone read it, no matter how they said it, they would be, they would be like hallelujah. And I'd be like, you got that right. <laughs> it's like uh, it's just speaking out the goodness of God and it, And I just think that we need to know before we get going. you here today, you're standing before God. It has nothing to do with how you feel. You may be tired, someone you know, you may be tired. Um, you may be. Fresh off a of failure, like real fresh off a of failure. When it still stings and you haven't had time to process, you're just like, I'm bad. That word hallelujah is for you. You may be fresh off a victory where you feel like you're at the top of the world, but hallelujah speaks of one that is greater that his ups and he doesn't go up when you go up. He always is. And so could we, Just remember this morning that we are gathered here simply to say from our spirit to God's spirit, hallelujah. God, you are who you say you are, and I am who you say I am. And then we come to his word from that place. We have nothing to gain as far as merit with God, but we have everything to gain as far as God's wisdom, God's understanding to grow in how much he loves you who may call yourself a follower of Jesus, and to grow in how much God loves the person next to you that you may even call your enemy. That's the power of the gospel. So with all of those things in mind, we open up God's word, and we just say, Lord, speak to us. Amen? All right. I got a message. Hallelujah. I got a message this morning that we're going to call When the Walls Come Crumbling Down, written and performed by John. Cougar Mountain Camp. Win the balls. I had another title, but we're going to go, I remember it too. My mom used to rock out to that song. Uh, We are going to look at something for the next, I'm going to call it two weeks, but as I jump into, continue to prepare what I have for next Sunday, there's a chance it's going to go into the third, because we're going to talk about the longest teaching recorded in the Gospel of Mark, for sure, because Mark, we called this series the face of God, because Jesus um, shows us with his actions who God is. He came to seek and save the lost, or excuse me, that's Luke, but he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, the theme of Mark. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, is a lot about what Jesus taught. Mark is a lot primarily about what Jesus did, but we're coming into a section, if you have a red-letter Bible, the next few pages are just red, because Jesus is about to do this big discourse, this big teaching, which has been come to known as the Olivet Discourse. It's a teaching that Jesus gives on the Mount of Olives, overlooking the city of Jerusalem, and he's going to talk about some things that are going to happen um, soon. There are some things that are near, and there are some things that are far, like the, like the Muppets. Near? Far. <laughs> I really would like to take it all in one because Jesus taught it in one. But there's a lot going on. And I know a lot of us have questions like, what is, what is the, the end of the world? What are the times that, that are coming? Is there anything said about that? I'm really interested. I've heard some of you guys wrote on the thing just in times and kind of the, the times and seasons in which we live and the times and seasons that are coming. Well, we're going to talk about that because it's right where we're at in the scriptures. But it's so much to unpack. That we're going to, I'm going to break it up over a couple of weeks. And we're just going to go through it and just be real clear, okay, about what's going on. So in Mark chapter 13, we're going to set up some groundwork today for the whole Olivet discourse. So if you have your Bibles, uh, Mark chapter 13, the first five verses. And as he came out of the temple, One of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew Only gospel that that says those four names specifically, but they came and they asked him privately. Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all of these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. We're going to stop there. There's so much in this right here. Do you guys remember we left off, Jesus was in the temple the last time he taught in the temple. And the last thing he did is he saw the widow put in this this minuscule, minuscule, this very small amount that no one would even bother to measure. It's the change at the bottom of the offering box that doesn't even get pulled out and counted maybe. But Jesus saw, and what he said is, She had put in more than all the stacks of cash. So he obviously saw something different. He looked at the religious leaders of the day, the ones that were teaching God's word and saying, this is what God is like. This is what matters to God. This is how you approach God. He looked at them and he told everybody else, the common people, beware of these guys. So he saw things differently. And so then they leave the temple and they turn around, and they're like, look at that place. And Jesus says, I tell you what, see those buildings, boys? And it says they asked him privately a little bit later because it was confusing to them. Here's why it was confusing to them. These men looked at their co- world context from a Jewish Perspective, okay. Jesus was Jewish. This happened in Jerusalem, the the center of the nation Israel, in the Middle East. We would call it next to uh, the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean. It didn't happen in Puget Sound. You got to understand that to understand a lot of what we're going to talk about. A lot of Scripture you need to understand was written. With this in mind. So these men, they came and asked Jesus privately because they were very confused about what he just said. Here's why. Have you guys ever heard of the term eschatology? Eschatology is a, is a nice Bible term, it means the study of end times or end things. It, it, it's what's going to happen. Well, they had an opinion a view, a theology, a belief system about the things that were going to happen. And what Jesus said right there, it didn't fit. Let me, let me tell you why. As a Jewish uh, person with the Old Testament and God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the law, and the prophets, and everything that they had received, the Psalms that David wrote and all of that pointed to this, figure that was going to come and when this figure came he was going to be introduced so that here was here was the times and seasons that that they saw as a as a Jewish uh, person with the Jewish eschatology four things needed to happen for the end to take place and for God to set up his kingdom number one there needed to be significant turmoil In the world and specifically in the land of Israel, there needed to be uh, significant turmoil. As we'll see next week, it'll say turmoil like never before, so significant. They believe that was fulfilled with Rome's oppression. When Rome came in and took them over and governed them and they were no longer a free nation, but governed over by another. They believed that was what was talked about. And we'll see that it wasn't. They believed that Elijah the prophet, or one like him, would come. And they believed that person was John the Baptist. Especially when Jesus says, if you can receive it, I would tell you Elijah has come. Speaking of John the Baptist. So that there was this figure that was going to announce the Messiah the third thing is that the Messiah himself the Savior would actually come the king who would put a, a, a stop to all the injustice and would rule perfectly from the throne of David from David's lineage like we've been talking about this person was going to come and guess what had happened this we're probably talking about Tuesday in the temple still okay which is when he left and they said, look how sweet these buildings are. And he says, they're all going to get torn down. It's probably Tuesday of the final week of Jesus' life. So just a, just a few days prior was the triumphal entry. Palm Sunday. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to sit on the throne of King David. So that they thought they were in That place with the triumphal entry. And then number four, the last thing is that scattered Jews from everywhere would return to Jerusalem and live in peace under the Messiah's rule. So they thought they were in step three. That's where they thought they were living. Literally on that Tuesday in the temple, they thought step three of a four-step system, that's where they were. Now Jesus just told them that the temple is going to be destroyed. The temple that, that, made, that made no sense into their worldview. So it says they pulled him aside privately, as you do when you've been walking with Jesus for a while, and maybe you feel like you should have something figured out, but you secretly don't. So you pull him aside privately, like in prayer, and you're like, Lord, maybe I should know this already, but could you help me out here? So they pull him aside and they ask these questions. When? And what should we look for? Now, Jesus is going to talk about a few things here that can get confusing and have caused much discussion over the years. What exactly is Jesus talking about? That's what the disciples asked them. And next week, so I broke it down into two things. Next week We're going to talk about the things that are going to happen in the future. Today, we're going to talk about something that has already happened. So Jesus says two things. He's going to tear down two systems. There was the temple that's going to get torn down, and then there's the world system that will eventually get torn down. We're going to learn from today. We're going to set up groundwork for the next couple weeks. You guys down with that? All right, let's take a deep dive. So today's message, when the walls come crumbling down, God has broken down different sets of walls in the Bible. Anybody ever heard of the story of Jericho? Love that story. Strange, but I love it. March around the walls every day. You would have felt like a fool. I would have. got these big walled city and you march around singing praise songs. Our God is greater. Our God and they're like, you guys are morons from the wall. (laughs) Then on the seventh day, they did something extra especially odd. They marched around seven times. And then God, oh, don't get me preaching on this. I love so much. Then God says, I want you to shout. This wasn't like, yay. This was like a war cry. You ever screamed as loud as you can from the top of your lungs? Oh, it's freeing. Try it sometime. Not right now. I've thought about doing it together, but then the people will be like, what is going on in that building? They do. God bless them. Hashtag uh, servant children's ministry. Um, Sometimes God will tear down walls in situations where you are being held back from where God wants you to go. There's something in your way. God has called you into the promised land, which is the life that He has called you to live, where He is leading you. And there's going to be stuff in your way. And through praise, through hallelujahs, through seeking God by His Spirit, not by your strength, He's going to use odd circumstances to tear those walls down to get you where you need to be. Be encouraged. Sometimes God is going to tear down walls that you have built around yourself that keep you from going to the places that God would have for you. You ever seen the movie The Castle? Maybe it was Robert Redford's last movie, one of his last movies. Well, they had taken a castle that was once this place of strength and people— couldn't get in, and they had turned it into a prison. And it became a place where people couldn't get out, the same castle. Those are the type of walls that Jesus is talking about that we're going to look at today. And sometimes when we build walls around ourselves that are holding us captive, you can't see it, can you, when, it's, when you build them up around you? You need a person with an outside perspective to speak into this. Isn't it easier to see someone else's circumstances more clearly than they can? Why is it that you can see what's going on in someone else's world, and so we need to listen to Jesus' teaching? How do I approach this in love? How do we approach this in wisdom? But oftentimes it's hard to see things going on in your own life. When Jesus walked out of that temple, I often wonder, and I almost called the message this. I was like, I wonder what he thought when he took one last look around. He had just been teaching in the temple. You know, Jesus designed the temple. He gave Moses blueprints for the temple, which was originally a tent in the wilderness that they moved with them to have a house of worship all throughout the wandering in the desert. And then Solomon built um, a temple. Um, It was torn down. The remnant of Israel came back, and they built a smaller temple. That was the temple that was in place before the the one here. This was the third one. Um, But as Jesus was teaching, and as he left, and the disciples said, look at that. Look how sweet that place is. Look how magnificent it is. And as Jesus turned around and took that one last look, I'm like, I wonder what that was like. And the way you look at something for the last time depends entirely on your experience in that place. Our first family home that we lived in for 10 years um, is a little place. Both of my boys, our boys, learned to walk there, changed a bazillion diapers there. There are all the marks on the wall of the first 10 years of their life with them growing. There are dents. There are scrapes. Everyone tells a a story. We look back on that place with such fondness. Isn't it funny how a lot of people, as we get older, we look back on our first super divey, dumpy apartment or whatever, but we look back with such fond memories why there was so much life there, so much growth and when we look back, we look back with such fondness. And then immediately I thought about the movie Forrest Gump. And in Forrest Gump, do you remember when Jenny finally goes back to her childhood home? And she breaks down. And then Forrest said, I had that house torn down. That was Forrest Gump impression. The way she looked back was filled with so much pain. Because there was so much hurt that she had experienced there. And the way that we look at something says so much about what we experienced. And when Jesus said, Do you see those buildings? I tell you, not one stone will be left upon another. I think he's telling us quite a bit. Jesus didn't just see a building, he saw a system it would be torn down by outsiders but it was under god's sovereign sovereign hand and when jesus said i tell you that all this stuff will get torn down that has happened it actually happened in a year that is recorded in history you can go and read about it and i did the deepest dive into this battle this week and it was it was crazy But Rome came in. So we're talking this has taken place in, let's say, 32 AD. Rome came and did what Jesus said here in 70 AD. So it was prophetic at the time. It was in the future. They're thinking about end times, what's going to happen. So Jesus is going to talk about something near the destruction of the temple. And then he's going to talk about something far the end of the world. The destruction of uh, all man-made systems, the end of all man-made systems to bring in what the Jews were waiting for then didn't happen. What is going to happen when Jesus sets up an actual kingdom where he sits on an actual throne, and that's the world in which we live. So I want to talk about three things that got torn down by the enemy in 70 A.D., but God used... Because he is sovereign and nothing passes through his hands without him knowing. Not a bird falls to the ground. Not a penny goes in the offering box. And not a temple gets destroyed without God knowing. So three walls that got torn down. The first one is this. Walls of false identity. Now I could go on for a long time about what they were looking at. They said, teacher, look at those buildings. Look at that temple. It has been said that the temple of Herod, the temple that they were looking at, has been called by some the greatest building ever built. Now, that's a tall claim. And it wasn't by the the Jews either, like, look at our house, my house is better than your house. This was said by the outside world, that you had never seen a great building until you had seen this building. Does anybody like architecture? I do. Bridges, like stuff that's built, it, it baffles me. Big suspension bridges that took years and so much. Someone had to, first of all, imagine it, that something spans this, so as, as you know, we tell people stop being you know get out of your imagination, get into reality. Well, stuff doesn't come into reality unless it starts in the imagination. So people design these things and they build them, and it's so fascinating. But what we were looking at was a it was a wonder wonder of the world. Look up the wonders of the world and see what they are. This fits in the category in that day and age. The size of this temple was insane this in today's dollars was is estimated to be a one trillion dollar complex so we're not talking like a sweet house like a million dollar house we're talking like a little bigger the temple construction by herod the ruler that was under Roman rule, but who wanted to be well liked by the Jewish people and wanted to make a name for himself, was a really good architect and builder. He built all sorts of crazy stuff, and to win um, uh, favor amongst the people, he says, Let me rebuild this temple. Now, at first, they were like, No, 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 no. We know what you're doing you're trying to come in and say, hey, let me rebuild your temple, and then you're going to tear it down and then not build anything. So what he did is he started undergoing a building project to which we can't even fathom to this day and age. Basically, this is what he said. I will build the entire new temple. I will build the complex on which it will stand on. So he started these quarries out in the mountains. I will build everything that goes inside the actual temple all the the uh, bronze, I'll, I'll build all of that stuff beforehand so you can see it and approve it. And when you see it and approve it, then we'll move into phase two, which is to take down the old stuff and build all this new stuff. He started this building project in 20 B.C. And it didn't finish until 64 A.D. We're in 32 A.D., was uh, let's say, When Jesus is talking on this Tuesday before the cross, the temple was like the I-5 corridor, always under construction, (laughs) always a new place getting worked on. And you're like, what are they doing now? What's this? One day it will be done. Lord, let it be. One day all of that will be done. And it finally ended in 64 A.D., The temple only stood completely constructed for six years before it was literally torn down all the way to the foundation. It took 80 years and 80,000 laborers to build this thing. It covered 36 acres. Any farmers in here? It's a lot. How many square feet in an acre? 43,560 square feet in an acre, 36 of those. That was the area when it says Jesus walked in and there was the money changers. That was just the main complex that people would pass through. It's massive. There's so many cool uh, 3D renderings on YouTube that you can check out. If you just look up Herod's temple or temple in the time of Jesus, you can see this thing. The wall that's there now, have you ever heard of the wailing wall or the western wall? Well, it's not a wall of the temple. It's the westernmost portion of the retaining wall because they wanted to build this thing as high as it could be up on the mountain. So what what literally happened is they filled in all these valleys with this humongous 36-acre retaining wall on top of a mountain and put a platform on it. And the wailing wall, the western wall, is a small portion of one of those retaining walls that is still there of the original stuff. But the temple getting tore down, it's gone. But there has to be a temple in place for the far to happen next week. There's no temple. So there are certain things that Jesus is going to say that are, future some of the stones check this out some of the stones that were quarried and brought in still uh, engineers and stuff they don't it's like how did they do that because some of the stones were 12 feet wide so from me to that wall right there 12 feet, something like that, by 12 feet tall, this is a a 10-foot ceiling, by 40 feet long, so from here to the wall. So 12 by 12, so like from the TV out to me, like this big, this is a rock. It was hewn perfectly in a quarry, then it was moved in one piece, set in place, layer upon layer upon layer, like 400 tons per boulder, per rock. They fit so perfectly that you couldn't fit a blade in between them. There was no mortar. It was dry stack. It was beautiful. The main building, the temple building, in the middle of that huge 36-acre complex was 90 feet tall. It was built with huge stones. The entire top was covered in gold like a crown. It, was, it reflected the sun. And so it's, it was said that if you looked at this thing directly, it would blind you. So you couldn't look at it in certain times of the day. Think of your iPhone screen when the sun hits it just right, and you're like, ugh, oh, like that on a bigger scale. I just say that because it happened to me yesterday driving home. Then on the colonnades that went around, there was on this one area 50 meters wide, 400 meters long, four football fields long, half a football field wide, like four football fields end on end. There was this colonnade. It was covered in all this beautiful artwork, but there were these 60-foot tall pillars that took three people, three grown men, to hold hands like this to fit around. We do it around trees now, but they did it around pillars back then. All solid pieces of marble, every single one was one piece of marble. I'm just trying to help you understand the magnificence. So When they were like, look how rad our church is. This was a different level. This was a temple that took 80,000 people 80 years to construct. 60-foot tall pieces of, of marble. It said that when you looked at this place from far away, it looked like a snow-capped mountain. There was so much white, so much gold, so much bling. The thinking was, this is a false identity, that the size and the magnificence of the temple was a sign of God's favor upon the nation as a whole. See, the temple had become a status symbol. But you have to understand that grandness doesn't equal greatness. Just because something is big and beautiful doesn't necessarily mean it's beneficial. Now let me throw the flip side of that coin because it's also true. Something that's big and beautiful and magnificent can be beneficial. It can be awesome. But just because something is big doesn't mean that it is beneficial, right? The size of your home does not equate to the health of your home. Hence Jesus' words in the book of Revelation before he got into the things that were coming he said, talk about the things that are. And he wrote letters to seven churches. And one of the churches would have been the biggest church in number, probably the biggest complex. This is after the temple. This is when this is more speaking in our language of church gatherings and stuff like that. What he told them is, I see your works. It's big. It's good. But here's what you're missing. Love you left your first love. Just because something is big doesn't necessarily mean it's beneficial. And they had a false identity. When they turned around and they were like, look at that. And Jesus said, that's coming crumbling down. It had had become a sense of false identity. You know what else it had become? He tore down walls, of false security because when things bring identity we think that they bring security and it's crazy that the temple was the biggest it had ever been when it was torn down bigger than when God gave King David the blueprints and Solomon built it It took him 14 years to build it and all of the people that, uh, that constructed that temple 14 years and then remember we talked about when Zerubbabel and those guys came back um, in our remnant series and what they built and God said that the second was actually greater than the first God's dwelling and people looked at it and they were like that new temple nice job and they even like looked at it comparatively, like, man, they were able to do this, but this is, this is what's in front of us, so this is what we're going to do with our whole heart. And God said, I am with you. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, declares the Lord. And God was so fired up on the, the remnants' work and what they did. But this temple was the greatest it had ever been. It was the greatest thing around. And if you read um, history the Romans didn't just have an idea one day like, hey, let's show up and tear the temple down. Because fulfilling the prophecy that Jesus said that it was going to be torn down and not one stone left upon another, did you know that was not even Rome's battle plan when they took over Jerusalem? They actually were trying to bring order back to Rome because there was a, a, a group of Jewish um, Zealots that were rebelling against Rome and they went on the war path and they started taking back territory from the Roman Empire. And so Caesar Tiberius was like, no, no, we can't have that. So they brought in forces and they started taking these little cities back, 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 back. And as the, the, uh, the Jewish like revolt people, they started collecting and, and gathering back and they all gathered back to the city of Jerusalem within its walls. And then Rome breached the walls. And so they gathered to the old part of the city. And then they breached those walls. And they gathered in the temple facility. And then they breached those walls. And then they gathered inside the temple. And eventually they breached those walls. And it was literally in the temple where they sought the most security at the end of the battle that Rome came and tore it down. And the reason the building ended up getting tore down brick by brick is because the Roman soldiers were so agro when they came in because they wanted to keep it as a trophy and they were so crazy with adrenaline and rage they set the place on fire and all the cedar beams and all of that stuff burned it got so hot it melted all the, the gold crown up on top it melted down in between the rocks and so the soldiers went on a war path on their own not by Caesar and they tore and broke all the rocks apart to get to the gold It didn't offer very much security in the end. Doesn't it so true that oftentimes we learn where we put our sense of security when it comes crumbling down around us? We don't see it, what we're drawing our security and identity from, but then all of a sudden what seems so secure comes crumbling down around us, and it's a wake-up call. That happened, literally. And the third one was the walls of separation. When the temple got tore down, tore down the walls of false identity, walls of false security, and walls of separation. Jesus had been God. They didn't think that Jesus was God, the Jewish uh, people that rejected him, had him hung on a cross for claiming to be God. Their God lived in the temple. And there were walls and layers that you had to go through to get to this God that's in the temple. That was where he lived. But that is not where God lives. Now, this is not a temple. This is a church. But we often make these very same mistakes God wants to tear down walls of false identity. He wants to tear down walls of false security where we hide in our walls. And he wants to tear down walls of separation. You know the temple complex had walls of separation. But that's not where God lives. That's why Jesus said, My house is supposed to be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers, people that are taking advantage of people that are supposed to come from every tribe, nation, tongue, you know, language, background, upbringing, trauma, all of the things is supposed to be a place where people would desire to freely come to learn more of God, to pray to him. And so when the the temple was torn down, the system was torn down, There was no more court of the Gentiles. You can sit in the lobby. There was no more court of the women where they could only be in a certain portion. There was no more court of Jewish men. But before God could rebuild by the Holy Spirit what he wants to do with the church, there are things that had to be torn down. And this was it. Because God's presence isn't found in the temple mount, but in the person of Jesus. That's why when Jesus says, one who is greater than the temple is here. When he was talking to the religious leaders, he's like, you guys are way too temple-minded. You say stuff, this temple was so magnificent that they would be like, I swear by the temple, I'll be there next week at your bar mitzvah, dog. And it's like, if you swore by the temple, that was binding." But if you're like, I swear on my mama's grave, you could get out of that. You could be like this. This is what I'm doing back there. But if you swore by the temple, he's like, you put too much stock into the temple. One who is greater than the temple. That's the gospel. See, that's where we're living. That we don't have to go to this magnificent place, but this magnificent person has come to us. That's who Jesus is. He says, that you guys put all this stock in here, but this all pointed to me, he would say. And so when these things came crumbling down, here's what gets to be rebuilt, the church, who God is. They needed to be reminded. And if you read the rest of the Bible after this, keep this in mind. This is what Jesus was doing. That's why when Paul and different people go and preach the gospel somewhere, and be like, hey, there was this guy been foretold of forever but he came and he lived this life and here's things he said and then he was killed for it and three days later he rose from the grave and he knows you and he knows you grew up in Rome and he knows you grew up in this place and he loves you and he wants you to know him that's how people in our day and age can respond to the majesty of God without seeing this temple complex. We live in that reality, but the Jewish people had to be reminded. That's why in Acts, when Stephen, the first martyr, dies, he says this. Yet the most, Acts chapter 7, Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, speaking of God, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is my place of rest? Did not my hand make all of these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Keep reading that story. That was the final straw. After that, they were like, oh, heck no, and they killed him. But here's what we're learning. God puts his glory in in broken vessels, not on mountains with stone. That's the reality of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. All of the glory, the majesty that was represented in that temple and in that complex, he puts in jars of clay, not on mountains with stone. All of his beauty, all of his holiness, all of his presence the place where God, where the God of the universe meets with people isn't a building that can be destroyed, but a person that is being constantly built up. Man-made temples can be destroyed, but the temple of God can never be. That's why when Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it, it's not talking about a building. He's not talking about an organization. He's talking about a living, breathing organism he's talking about you he's talking about you he's talking about me because God doesn't dwell in this place he dwells in this place I want to end with this what if you left today not thinking Jesus was a place you needed to go to meet with but if you left here and you realize this everything you need If you are a follower of Jesus, with the trials and tribulations, with the things going on in the world that we can't explain, with evil that is going on in the world, with a desire to do something about it, with a desire to live for God, with a desire to love people, like you want to honor God in your life, you want to do the right thing, but you feel outnumbered, you feel outgunned, and you feel ill-equipped to do so. What if you left here today thinking that Jesus was not a place you had to go, but you actually left here and you have everything you need to do what God is calling you to do? What if you said that? I have everything I need because the temple of God is within me, the presence of God, the majesty of God, the power of God. You don't need to build anything because it's already being built in you there is not a place you need to go or a structure that you need to build, but a realization that the kingdom of God is received and not earned. But sometimes in order to see that, especially if you've grown up in the church for a long time, sometimes things have to come crumbling down before they can be rebuilt. But that's okay let the spirit of god tear down what needs to be torn down in order that he could b- build up that which is imperishable that that will that which will last forever and that which if you can let that happen you're going to understand the things that we're going to talk about the next 2 weeks much better because he's not looking to just destroy he's ending away with a system in order that something better can be rebuilt We're going to talk about the whole world, but today we're talking about you and me and your life. For some of us, we have systems that are built in our lives that are unhealthy. Systems that cause a false sense of identity, false sense of security, and walls of separation. Jesus wants to make his dwelling place in your heart. And he doesn't want anything to prevent that from happening. And sometimes, because God loves you that much, he'll, t- he'll allow things to be torn down in order for you to see it. Every man-made system, every single one, has a stopping point. And it's going to get torn down. And it's going to get done away with so that Jesus can create again all things new. But it starts, you guys ever heard the, the scripture, judgment begins in the house of the Lord? It's not like you're bad, I'm gonna start with you. It's that the, the preparation, let God do in you what you wanna see him do in others. So when they turn around and they were like, look at what we've done. Look at what has happened. Look how big God is. Look at how magnificent. He, and Jesus is standing there with them. And he was like, that doesn't, that doesn't add up. That's going to get torn down. This is going to last forever. May that be the most beautiful realization that we have everything we need. We don't have to have the big and expensive But the simple person of Jesus and the work of Jesus is accompanied by all of his power, all of his majesty, all of his plans, all of his purposes. That's good, right? Let me pray. Lord, thank you for today. Lord, one day you say that we'll understand things that we don't currently understand. I want to thank you in advance for that time because there's a lot of stuff I don't understand. But I also thank you that you tell me to not let my understanding be the end of where I I trust you, but actually let it be the beginning of where I trust you. You say, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge God and he will direct your paths. So Lord, there are things going on in my life and in the world that there are systems in place that are unhealthy. Um, There's stuff going on that uh, I wish it wouldn't be, and your timing is not my timing, but your timing is perfect. And so before we look at the rest of the world and what you're going to do, I thank you that you just turned it to us that we could look personally with you today. So, Lord, we want to give you space to tear down walls if need be. Um, we'll start in our own individual lives, and we'll go all the way up to the walls of this church. We want to be people that um, don't have a false identity, a false security. Our identity is in you, Jesus. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. Our security is not in um, what we own or don't own, what we have or don't have. Our security is the most secure because it's spoken of by you and it lasts for eternity. And we don't want to be a place that has layers and walls of separation. We want to be a place where your spirit is free to move about and you don't say, look at that place, it'll get torn down. You say, that is a place where I command a blessing, because that is a place where people dwell in unity. So Lord, we sing this song to you, and we just ask that you would do inventory in our lives. And um, Lord, we love you. We sing the song in response. In Jesus' name, amen.